Well, you guys have a seat because I am. Uh, I'm going to sit on the floor if you don't mind. I uh, hope you can see me, but if not, we have these like nice, nice PA speakers. You can you can at least hear me. Welcome. I, I hope that you're doing well. Um, we are uh, on week two of a series uh, called Fabricating Truth, and what we're wanting to do uh, is that we're wanting to be honest about a couple of things that we we lie to ourselves, our heart lies to us, um, and how can we untangle that? How can we find truth and stop? deceiving ourselves. And so we're kind of, we began last week just looking at this idea that like we lie to ourselves and, and you know that you lie to yourself. You tell yourself that you're pretty, you're pretty great and you're pretty awesome and you are. Um, but we tell ourselves that when it's true and we tell ourselves that especially when we've done something that we regret. Uh, and we tend to just like, you know, like they made me do that. You know why I said that? Because, because they made me, you know why I acted that way? You know why, you know why I jumped out and treated that person in that way? Well, it's because they had it coming. They 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 forced me to, but that's not true, right? You made choices to, and I made choices to use those words, to have those actions, and we just want to be clear that we are very capable of deceiving ourselves, and uh, that there is a way that if we just let the Lord just kind of teach us truth, there's a way that we can unpack this. And so uh, we said last week that if I bring every wrong person you can think of, and just made like a panel of people all the way around here, we get like we get Hitler and we. Get get that guy who votes different than you right here, and we get Susie in accounting, and all the people that you dislike, um, and we ask them, and get you too, bring, bring up you from 10 years ago when you did that thing that you regret doing, it, just like a snapshot of you, and I, I asked all the people in the panel, like, why do you do the things that you do? And every one of them, including you, including me, uh, will give a justification, will try to make it look right, and will give some reason, some logic, that at the end of it, now we may have different reasons for it, but at the end of it, we're saying this, that what I did was good and what I did was right. But is Hitler good and right? No, we can all agree that Hitler is not good and right. And yet if I asked him, if he were here and I could ask him, he would say, no, I was good and right. I, I made, I made, I made right decisions. And so we have to be very careful and we just maybe, maybe cause us to pause a little bit that if we're that capable of self-deception, then how do I know that I'm telling myself the truth today? Uh, how do I know that that decision that just maybe, maybe I have a few regrets from this past week that was I in the right? Was I in the wrong? Am I deceiving myself? Our, our capability to deceive ourselves should cause us to be cautious and pause and reflective and maybe ask God some curious questions to reveal to us, uh, some some truth. And so, you know, why, why do we deceive ourselves? I heard somebody say a couple of weeks ago, we deceive in order to be received. We deceive in order to be received. Why is it that we tell ourselves that we're really good? Because we really hope that God thinks that we're really good. Why do we tell ourselves that he or she had it coming and they deserved what they, they got they, from me? They deserve what they got from me because ultimately we want to be right. We want to be received. But the path for you and I to be received by the Lord is not in self-deception. It's not in convincing ourselves of how good we are. The path of being received by the Lord is to just be revealed by his truth and to lean into his truth. And his truth very often will point to Jesse and say, here's some things that I want you to work on. Here's some things that I'm, I'm scrubbing off of your heart. Uh, but it will never be, hey, listen, we're going to, we're going to believe that lie. Me and you, Jesse, we're going to believe that lie that you've said about yourself. That will never lead to freedom. That will never lead to any kind of break breakthrough in your life. The reason why you and I end up in these patterns that they repeat themselves is often because either nobody told us the truth or when the truth came to us, we like, I don't, I don't like that. I don't, I don't want that. 
And so uh, we introduced this whole idea last week. That's a repeat if, if, if you want to go back and listen to it. But how, how is it that we can spot self-deception in ourselves? And the rest of this series for the next four or five weeks is how do we spot self-deception in ourselves? If we're that capable of lying to ourselves, how is it that we can know in the moment that that wasn't true? How is it that we can know in the moment that we're deceiving ourselves in order to be received? And one of the ways that we're going to have a lie detector on ourselves is the words that come out of our mouth. I, I don't know, anybody uh, here have a mouth that sometimes moves faster than your filter for what to say and what not to say? Uh, anybody here ever say something uh, and then immediately regret it for a long season of time? Anybody? I'm, I'm definitely not the only one. I thank you for your honesty. I, surely we can all admit that at times our mouth has maybe put us in positions that we didn't mean to, to be in. I don't know why the mouth moves so fast, but the Bible is very aware of how fast our mouth moves. A good large chunk of the Bible is pointing to people like you and me who are just trying to figure out life uh, and say, hey, why don't you watch your words? Why don't you pay really close attention to what's falling out of your mouth? It's going to tell you more about your heart than you might think. When, uh, when I was in ninth grade, uh, I just started a new school. I moved, I moved around a lot. So I'd recently moved to this new community and then in ninth grade switched schools. And so it's like, it was very disorienting. I didn't have a ton of friends at the time. Uh, and I, I just, I just started school, like I said. And, uh, I walked to school. It's like a, it's like a mile and a half a walk to school. And there's this guy, Reggie. I don't know if Reggie will ever hear this. I mean, it's being recorded for the internet. So maybe Reggie will hear. But one day I get to class in his first period English and Reggie tells me in front of the class from like across the room, it's like, I'm, I'm like standing back there where Davis is, and he just says, hey, Jesse, I don't like the way you walk. I'm like, what? What kind of person doesn't like the way someone, I see you walking to school all the time, I don't even like the way you walk, I don't like your stride, you got a stupid walk. I'm like, that's a really dumb thing to say to somebody. I'm saying that as nearly 40 years old, like, you can't just tell someone you don't like the way they walk, that's really dumb. But in ninth grade, I immediately went defensive. I don't know why I felt the need to defend the way that I walk, but I told Reggie, I said, Reggie, look, man, I had surgery on my ankle and I have that walk because like the doctor's messed up, man. And I, I just don't know. True story. Uh, I'd never had surgery on my ankle until last week. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. One, I felt the need to defend myself. I don't know why. Two, that was the first thing that came to mind. There was zero time to plan this. It's not like he told me the day before, hey, Jesse, I'm going to call you out on your ankle and I want you to have something ready. And I had time to really think through all of the options in the blink of an eye, a quarter of a second. Hey, Jesse, I don't like the way you walk. Well, stop making fun of crippled people. I had surgery on my ankle. That's how it came back. And I just felt this need to say something, and my mouth put it out there before I had time to even think and plan. Like, I have no scars. I don't know, like, what the surgery is for. What do you even need ankle surgery for? In ninth grade, I had no idea what you might need ankle surgery for. I think I may have said something about a car wreck, but the whole thing was a complete lie. Uh... And, and I'm looking at it now. Why? Why? Why did I feel the need to lie? Because in this moment, I felt challenged. For some reason, a group of people now dislike me because I walk dumbly, <laughs> and and I wanted to make a reason that deflected their logic because I had a need to be received. You and I have a need to be received. Why do so many things come out of our mouth? Because a lot of times we're trying to justify what's going on in our heart. And so what we want to do today is that we want to have a couple of lie detectors for the rest of the series on how can I spot self-deception. And the first and the biggest one, and we're going to spend two weeks talking about it, is going to be my mouth, your mouth, everybody's mouth. The things that fall out of our mouth 
tell us the truth about our heart when our heart is telling us lies, trying to deceive us. And you say, well, why do you say that? Let's look at a few Bible passages together, okay? Like I said, the Bible is just riddled with, hey, pay attention to your mouth. In fact, probably 50% of Proverbs is just like, okay, be smart, watch your mouth. Uh, Maybe you want to be wise, watch your mouth. Uh, It's just watch your mouth, watch your mouth. Proverbs 18.6. I like this. This should be a bumper sticker. Um, Proverbs 18.6, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Can, can we just get an amen every, every now and then, man? Like our mouth will just put us in places that we didn't mean to get to. I just, I just love how street the Bible gets all of a sudden. Like, is it you and me? Like, I don't know about you, but like the Bible's real sanitized to me. And I just think, oh, it's, it, it, Solomon you know, is probably the one who writes this. He's, you know what sometimes some fools do? Their mouth just invites a beating. <laughs> I, I, I imagine he just had an argument with, with somebody. You know, the the Bible talks about a fool and his lips and what comes out of his mouth. And it's always like the fool is revealed. His foolishness is revealed by his mouth. The problem with the fool isn't that his mouth made him a fool. The problem with the fool is that he lets his mouth just run and it reveals that he was already foolish. A, A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Proverbs 12.6 says, the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. What, What is it what is it that a fool, what is a wicked person looking for? Well, his his words just sit and they wait. You guys know people in your life. Uh, the Bible would call these people wicked, by the way, just reading this proverb straight up, uh, that they don't have a lot to say until they've got something on you. They don't have a lot to say until you walked funny and they just want to make a fool out of you. They, they don't have a lot to say to you, but when they do speak, it is with the intention of injuring you. The Bible calls that person wicked. The words of the wicked, they just lie in wait for blood. They they don't have a lot to say that are good, but they just, they want to tear somebody down. But the mouth of the upright delivers them. When I was a kid, and probably when you were a kid, we had a lot of little, uh, uh, we had like parental proverbs, not biblical proverbs, we had parental proverbs that were meant to soothe our soul. And you come home and little Billy was mean to you at school, and you're like, Mom, Billy was mean, said a lot of mean things. And then your mom teaches you, or your dad teaches you a little little rhyme, uh, and we think it's true because it rhymes. Uh, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You tell the authors of the Bible that, because they disagree. Words destroy, and a wicked person wants to use their words as a weapon, as a sword, as a, as a dagger to sneak in behind you, to act like a friend at times, but at just the opportune moment, a little, a little tuck. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I've, I've done enough counseling sessions to tell you that the words of a parent said in anger 30 years later are still ringing true in people's heads, that they're still trying to shake that feeling, that thought. Why did my dad say that? Why did that come out of their mouth? And it's just sometimes words have a lot more weight than we want to admit. We want to think that words are cheap because they come so quickly out of our mouth. But uh, words, they... They, they have some, some weight. Another proverb, the last proverb we'll look at, uh, just to prove the case. I could, I literally had dozens of these things written down. Uh, but Proverbs 10, 32 says, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. 
Again, we're looking at, okay, so there's wicked people, and what they know, what their mouth is so good at is how to tear people down. But you have righteous people that they know how to build people up. The last verse we looked at said the, 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 the words of the wicked, they lie in wait, but the words of the righteous, they build people up. That our words, they're powerful both in the positive and the negative, both in the dangerous and in the, in the healing and in the protective. Why? Do our words get us in trouble? Why do you and I have so many of our personal regrets built around our words? Remembering a past when I said something I shouldn't have said, when I acted in a way that I shouldn't have acted, when I treated someone verbally in a way that I just wish that I didn't. One more passage I want to look at um, just to set this up before I answer the question why is uh, Jeremiah 8. If you were here last week, I referenced one verse of Jeremiah 8 uh, together, but I want to unpack it a little bit more because it really dives into what we do with our mouth and why we do it a little bit. I'll say again what I said last week is that Jeremiah is a prophet. Uh, he's writing to the nation of Israel right before they go into bondage. And for a few uh, months, years, a generation, really, the Lord has been saying, guys, you've got to repent. You've got to do things the way that I'm telling you to. You, gotta, you have to trust me on what truth is. And the people are like, oh, thumbs up, God. We, we believe it. But then they just did what they wanted. They continued down this road uh, to the point where Jeremiah eventually gets a word from the Lord saying it's over. I'm, I'm done warning. The time of repentance is now over. Judgment is on its way. And he sends Assyria to uh, capture them. And as, as the Lord is explaining his, his reasoning, not that he really owes us an explanation, uh, but as he's explaining it, here's, here's what he says. This is a verse that I looked at last week. Why? Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 5. Why then has this people turned away in perpetual backsliding. They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. The Lord is saying to Jeremiah about the people. He's like, they know the truth and they know that they're deceiving themselves, but they're choosing the deceit because they like the deceit better. Um, something about our human nature is that if we can fool ourselves, even if it's a weak lie, we would choose the lie that says we're all okay. Then the truth that says that we need to repent and, and give something back to the Lord. But he continues. He says, verse six, I have paid attention and I've listened. This is the Lord. I've paid attention and listened, but they have not spoken rightly. No man relents of his evil saying, what have I done? Everyone turns to his own course like a horse plunging headlong into battle. This is such a amazing picture. They just, they, they, I've been paying close attention and none of these people are saying I'm wrong. None of these people are saying, what have I done? And like a horse plunging headlong into battle, it's like you can't stop them. They're just on this train. We would use the picture of a train that's unstoppable. They're on these tracks, and they're just going head on into deceit, into lie, into self-deception. And there's going to be a payment for that. There's going to be a judgment for that. It says, verse 7, even the stork in heaven knows her times, and the turtle dove swallow and crane keep time of their coming, but my people know not the rules of the Lord. He's like, look at all these animals. They do what they're supposed to do, but the people who claim the name of the Lord at this time, uh, I'm sure we've healed ourselves completely of this, but at this time they knew the ways of God, but were ignoring it on purpose. We're choosing something else. Verse 8. How can you say we are wise 
and the law of the Lord is with us. Why is it that you guys keep saying that God is on your side when you so clearly know, this is to Israel, this is, you know, 2,000 plus years ago, that you so clearly know you're not doing what I said, and yet you keep fooling yourselves into thinking that we're following the ways of the Lord. But behold, he says, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. What the Lord is casting judgment on is that the people who should be teaching you better, they were buying into the lie. They were feeding you the same lie that you wanted, people, and not telling you the truth so that it became the cycle. The The people in religious leadership were telling you, no, that you're on the Lord's side. Uh, and all the while, everybody kind of knew that they weren't, um, but were continuing to buy into the lie. Verse uh, 9, the wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord so that wisdom is in them. So, excuse me, so what wisdom is in them? He's saying that the people that you are trusting, O Israelites, the ones who claim to be the wise ones, the ones who you think are wise, they're lying. And now what wisdom is left? And so get to verse 11. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. What the Lord is warning them about is that there's a group of people in their life that is telling you peace, peace. They've wound your, or they healed your wound lightly, telling you that it's peace when there is no peace. You and I need to be very careful because our heart is so prone to self-deception that if we can surround ourselves with people who are telling us what our heart wants to hear, we just, we lean into it, we buy into it. And they say, hey, it's okay. They say peace, peace, but they're not really healing the wound. It's just covering it over. What you and I need is truth to dispel our own self-deception. We do not need partners in our self-deception. You need to be leery of the people who are so quick to tell you that you have a right to do blank. You have a right to say blank. You have earned all of, you put up with so much, you get to do A, B, and C now. That is what I believe Jeremiah would say is healing the wound lightly, calling things peace when there is no peace. So do you and I, do we want false peace deceptive peace, or do we want real peace? The kind of peace that the Lord would want to to give you, to give your heart. Your heart wants peace. That's why it deceives. Like I said earlier, we deceive so that we can be received. Why do we do this with our words? What is it about our words, our mouth, that is interacting with our heart? Why is that the lie detector? I want to look at Matthew 12. This will be kind of the the bulk of, of today. And just try to unpack this out of the mouth of Jesus, because Jesus seemed to have a really good take on the, the human condition, as you might, you know, understand. Uh, you know, every time I read the Gospels of Jesus, I'm just fascinated with like how he saw through everyone's lies and said exactly what needed to be said in that moment. You know, Jesus was, he was hailed as a, a hero by those who were so beat down by the lies that truth was 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 salvation. Truth was peace. You, you look at all those who, who were poor and in bondage. When Jesus spoke the truth to power, they felt free and they loved him. They celebrated and they called him king. But those same words of truth that Jesus said gave reason to those people in power to want to accuse him, to arrest him, and to eventually crucify him. Jesus's message never changed based on how people reacted. He only sought truth to speak truth. And so what happens at, you know, midway through chapter 12, 
very Jesus-y moment. Uh, he cast out a demon. And so some guy, he's been, he's had a demon and he hasn't talked in a while. He's been, he's been deaf and mute for a while. So Jesus cast out the demon and everybody's amazed. Like, wow, way to go. That's, that was really cool. We see Jesus casting out a demon. And then the Pharisees, they start talking, you know, where you got the power to do that. You got it from the devil. The devil gave him the power to cast out demons. And I, it doesn't say, and Jesus became angry at them, but he gets really blunt with some people. So like, you know, as, as angry as Jesus may get, he, he, he's just like, what are you talking about from the devil? When I cast out a demon, why do you say it's from a devil? Who do you say cast out the demon when your kids are casting out demons out there? You're like, you don't say it's from the devil. You think it's a work of God? And so he kind of has this whole speech. But then in verse 33, he's kind of talking to the whole crowd, and he wants to address why it is that they were so quick to make up a lie about him. Why did those words come so freely out of those men's mouth? And he addresses where words come from. He says this in verse 33. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. He's responding again to this casting out of demons. Why are you saying that casting out demons is good, but it's coming from a bad source? You're saying, I got that power from the devil. That's dumb. Like It's either good or it's bad, but you can't have it both ways. Uh, and you can know a tree by its fruit. Verse 34, he says, you brood of vipers. I like, I like in my Bible, I think up here has a exclamation point. Um, this picture that I've had of Jesus where he's just like real calm. He's like, Oh, you brood of vipers. I, I really, I really think the exclamation point is necessary here. Like we need to know that Jesus is, he's responding with some force to people. You call people, you call a group of men who are supposed to be the religious leaders of everybody teaching all things, the ways of God. And you look at them and you call them a brood of vipers. Do you know, like, that that takes some that takes some guts to say to somebody to call him brood of vipers. He, he's basically saying, you know, that part in Genesis three where like the serpent slithered in and like the humans were against the serpent. There's like some animosity. You're on the the, the devil's side. You're on the serpent side. You are the brood of vipers. You said I get my power from the devil. That those words came out of your mouth. You brood of vipers. You're just like that serpent. Here, here's what he goes on to say: How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he's going to continue, but I just want to pause and reflect on that. Where do those words come from that they spoke? Jesus says that your problem isn't your mouth to these brood of vipers. He says your problem is your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When I was in ninth grade in Reggie, said what he said, and I responded quickly. If I, if I applied Jesus' words right now, I was like, why, did I, why was I so quick to make up a lie in order to be received? Like, where did that come from? The problem must be my mouth, right? And Jesus is saying, no, the problem isn't your mouth, Jesse. The problem is your heart, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you ask your heart, like, hey, heart, are you lying to me right now? Your heart is like, it'll lie to you right then. It's like, no, I've never lied to you a day in your life. You're a pretty great person. I love you. Or some of you are like, it's the exact opposite. Your heart is like, yeah, you stink. I, I really haven't liked you since the day you were born. It's just like it really hates it. Like we're very, very self-deprecating. Where, where is that coming from? Your heart will lie to you, but your mouth, on the other hand, your mouth will tell you the truth about your heart. How do I know? Because Jesus just said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Why is it that 
when, when we're mad with a loved one, spouse, a friend, that uh, at some point we get to a breaking point and then the words that come out of our mouth, they're so venomous. They're like little daggers meant to hurt. Like we know the sentence and we know the buttons to press and it, they just, like, it just hits. And immediately you're like, I shouldn't have said that again. I know that she's self-conscious about that. I know that he doesn't like it when I say that. I know every time I've said it, it doesn't. Why? And, and then you, you talk to friends or you maybe go to a counselor, you talk to a pastor and you're like, why? There's something wrong with my mouth. And Jesus would say, no. No, your mouth is doing what it's supposed to do because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth is telling you about your heart. You don't, you don't need to work on your mouth. Jesus would say we need to work on our heart. In, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, which in, you know, we're reading Matthew right now. Sermon on the Mount is just a few chapters before this. Jesus was kind of going through a similar thing. He says, you know, if your, if your right eye causes you to sin, you need to pluck that out. And then he explains some things. It's like, oh, well, it wasn't the eye's fault that the eye was looking at that. It's more of a heart problem than it is an eye problem. He says, well, if your right hand causes you to sin, you just need to cut that off. Just get rid of it. But then it turns out that it's not the hand that's causing the person to sin. It's the heart that's causing the person to sin. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you find that your mouth is getting you in trouble, you need to be clear with yourself. It's not a mouth problem. It's a heart problem. If you find in yourself your mouth never really wanting to say the hard truth that needs to be said, it's not a lack of words problem. It's a lack of courage in the heart problem. If you find that your mouth is, is responding with anger or venom or sadness, it's not a mouth problem, it's a heart problem, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so he kind of unpacks this some more. So in verse 35, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Where do do the good words come from in your mouth? Jesus would say it's out of the good treasures in your heart. Your ability to comfort a friend when they're mourning. Your ability to sit next to someone who just had a terrible diagnosis or a terrible piece of news. And all you do is just say, I love you. Uh, I'm there for you. That, that's not coming from a selfish space of you know, deceit. And so where does that come from? Where do those words come from? Jesus says it's because somewhere along the way you've heaped up those good treasures in your heart. Where do the evil words come from? Where do the words of anger, the words of hurt come from? What are those words that you hear yourself repeating mom and dad uh, from your child? And you're like, I'll never say that to my spouse. I'll never do that to my kids. And yet we repeat them. Where do they come from? Jesus says, well, they're coming from this evil place, the evil treasures that you've put in your heart. So what we said last week is going to stand true based on Jesus' words here. How do we combat the self-deception? It's not in pointing to the lie. It's in reinforcing the truth. It's in putting more truth in our hearts. How do we get better words in our mouth? Jesus would kind of indicate right here. We need to store up good treasures in our heart. We need, we need people to speak truth. We need to wash our souls in God's word. Uh, learn that we need to surround ourselves with people who tell us the truth. We need people in our lives. You at least need one person in your life who will call you out on your own lies and say, you know what? That sounds really nice, but is that true? Did you really have the right to say that? Did you really mean to, to do that? Um, we need people that are not reinforcing the lie, but putting truth in, in us. 
And he says at the end that at Judgment Day, we're going to give an account for every careless word we speak. Um, I don't know. I don't know about you. Uh, that that kind of sends a chill down my spine because um, I talk a lot. <laughs> when I'm nervous, I talk more. Uh, I talk professionally. Uh, so there's a lot of words that come out of my mouth and every careless word that came out of my mouth, I'm going to give an account for, not because the words are, uh, as important. It's not, it's not judgment on the words. It's that the words revealed my heart. Those careless words, they revealed my heart. I'm going to give an account for my heart on judgment day, um, I'm going to, I think, I think what I'm going to commit to doing is working on it on this side of judgment and, and following the grace of Jesus for every time that just something slipped out of my mouth, made it past the, the filter. For by your words, verse 37, for by your words, you'll be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. When, when we have the playback reel of our life and we're, we're going through our conversations, I think the Lord is going to show us our words and how it revealed our heart. I think he's going to show us like that was that was some pain in your heart that you were covering up. You were deceiving yourself, Jesse. Why did you why did you tell him that you were in a car wreck? That was dumb. I'm like, yeah, it was dumb. And thank you for Jesus. <laughs> uh, why why did I why did I speak up in anger uh, when when anger wasn't necessary? Like it was such a such a foolish reason. The Jesse, your heart. It's it's your heart. Let's let's work on your heart. You and I we we deceive ourselves because we want to be received and. If you were to just take an account of your words, um, maybe reflect on them. Maybe maybe keep a little journal. Like, oh man, I spoke up that many times. I said that again. Maybe maybe like a little tick box. And I would invite you to use it as a way to reflect on your heart. You say, hey, heart, is everything going good down there? Like, hey, we're great. We're having a great time. You're a pretty great guy, Jesse. You're doing awesome. Yeah, but I said ten things today that I really regret. Yeah, let's not talk about that. The heart's like, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. You know, it's, it's lying to me. But then I use these words, these sentences, these phrases that come out of my mouth, and I, I reflect on them. Here's, here's what I would invite you to do. As we, as we reflect on our mouth and how it reveals our heart, I, I would invite you to, to maybe throughout this week respond with, with this, is that because your words reveal your heart, assign every word, every phrase, every conversation, assign it to a piece of your heart. Where does that anger come from? Assign it. Oh, it's that hurt place in my heart. You know why I responded that way? Because I felt like I was 10 years old again and I was broken. I was small. Like I felt small. I'm a grown man. I'm not that 10 year old anymore, but that place in my heart is still hurting and it's been hidden from me. It's out of my view. But that word, that sentence that I said last week is revealing to me the truth about my heart. Assign the words that come out of your mouth to places in your heart. Just own it. Don't tell yourself, oh, well, I have the right to do it. Don't backfill it with logic. Don't, don't put it, well, they had it coming. They, they pushed me to a limit. Really, why does your limit give you free reign for your mouth to have no filter all of a sudden? Um, it's a place in my heart, and I just, just own it. When you own it, turn it over to the Lord. Just bring it to him. Not your mouth. Don't, don't, don't bring your mouth. Bring your heart. Because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. If the Lord fixes your heart, heals that corner of your heart, you know what your mouth is going to stop doing? It's going to stop saying that thing that you keep regretting that's sourced in that heart. Assign every word out of your mouth and own it. Assign it to a piece of your heart. And if you don't like your words, it's not a mouth problem. It's a heart problem. 
I don't know where you go with a mouth problem. Maybe you're orthodontist, okay? I do know, and you do know where to bring heart problems to. You bring heart problems to the Lord. He's the one who washes you clean. He's the one that when you confess your sins to him, he is righteous, he is just, he is holy. He's going to cleanse you from that unrighteousness, and he's going to forgive you. That's what we need is our heart to be scrubbed on those corners that have been hidden from us. And so may we, as we reflect on the word of God, may we choose to live in reality, not self-deception. May we not settle for fake peace. All those people who speak peace when there is no peace, it is a very poor substitute for true peace. We bring him our broken heart. We lay it at his feet. And when our words reveal pieces of our heart that you know we're not super proud of, we lay those at his feet and then we let him cleanse it. And you'll find, I believe you'll find, that our words um, become more uh, uh, sanctified as a result. We'll, we'll pick up where we left off today, next week with words. But let's reflect on that uh, together. Let me pray for us, and then we'll uh, watch the cue together. Father, uh, we come to you. Uh, we come to you as people with with unclean lips, uh, made holy only by your work in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. Uh, Lord, let us let us continue to 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 look more like you and continue to work on pieces of us. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us pieces of our heart that just they're just not in alignment with you. Let us not settle for the self-deception. Lord, uh, reveal to us where we're lying to ourselves and give us the courage to lay them down at your feet. Pray, Lord, for these men and women that there not be fake peace in their life, but real peace, true peace in their in their soul, in their being, um, and that their lives, their mouths would reflect true peace. May you, may you do a work in our lives. Um, step by step. 